Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Greg Cosell of NFL Films joined One Bills Live this afternoon to break down Buffalo's preseason win over the Carolina Panthers from Friday. Cosell said he loved the way Josh Allen worked with Cole Beasley during their time together on the field. And I love the way he hit Beasley on a lot of these short passes that require pace and touch because that was an area he needed to improve dramatically. And Beasley is really good. He's really good in particular when he's lined up as number three to trips because you're going to get him working either on a safety or a linebacker depending on whether the defense is playing nickel or dime. Beasley caught five passes for 44 yards before exiting the game. Those five receptions ended up leading the team. You can hear more from Cosell on demand at WGR550.com and the Radio.com app. On the injury front at Bill's practice earlier today, Ty Inseki was a non-participant, and Mitch Morse was again seen in a red non-contact jersey making his way back from a concussion. Coverage of Bill's training camp on WGR is sponsored by M&T Bank, the official bank of the Buffalo Bills. Fiegel Car and Joyce, your border attorneys. Lockport Outdoor Store, high-impact gear for hardworking men and women. And by New York's only outlet liquor, when you need to stock up, it is the place to buy a case. As for preseason action tonight, just one game around the league scheduled. Some Monday Night Football action here in August. The Broncos host the 49ers at 8 p.m. While news around the league, Antonio Brown returned to Raiders practice today. Seahawks rookie receiver D.K. Metcalf will have surgery later this week on his injured knee. Dolphins head coach Brian Flores says Ryan Fitzpatrick is not a lock to start under center week one for Miami. The Colts place running back Deonta Foreman on injured reserve with a torn bicep. And per Ian Rappaport, receiver Dontrell Emmon will visit with the Lions. The former undrafted free agent was cut by the Patriots on Sunday. And in the IL, the Bisons visit the Red Wings to start a four-game series in moments. At 7.05, Buffalo is two games behind scranton Wilkesbury for tops in the IL North. You can hear tonight's game, as always, on ESPN at 15.20. For WGR, I'm Kyle Powell. Next update at 8 o'clock. I want to remind you that it's easy to listen to WGR anytime and anywhere. Just ask your smart speaker to play WGR 550. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. Ken's really taking the day south as a person. Can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome into the week. We got a Bills game at the end of it. And you got me until then. The Nightcap, Joe DiBiase, 7-9 on weekdays, including tonight. There's a game tonight in the NFL, about an hour away, 49ers and Broncos. Denver, one team that will be on the Bills' schedule later in the year. Maybe Drew Locke by that point. We'll see. He'll probably play a lot tonight. So uh, that'll be something to look out for if you're scouting out the Bills' schedule in the preseason so far. And so far, so good for the Bills, right? 2-0. Are we getting excited about that? Is, is, do, are people out there still that are getting excited about preseason victories? I would figure there's some. The casual fan, especially. 
Like, oh, they look good tonight. Yeah, backups, backups, whatever. You don't want to poo-poo it too much. But the optimistic part of it all has been that, you know, two preseason games in, I think it's fair to say the Bills have looked as good as you could expect. That their offense and their defense uh, with the ones, would you would have wanted them to look. Ed Oliver, Josh Allen, Cole Beasley, all of it. And what's funny is, that's typical. Every year there's teams around the league that are expecting to be good, that look great in the preseason. There are teams that are expected to be bad that look good in the preseason, and vice versa. There are teams that everyone thinks are going to be the best thing on paper, and then they just do nothing in the preseason. It's like, oh, is there something wrong with them? But there's really not. So I'm not really reading too much into it um, so far with the Bills. But what you can take away is tendencies. And I think last Friday there was one tendency that Allen had that I'm not quite sure it's going to continue into the regular season, but he certainly had it against the Panthers. We'll get into that tonight. We'll get into a little fantasy football. I had my big fantasy draft on Saturday. A couple of trends that were going on there, speaking of trends, that uh, you might want to carry over into your draft. So we'll talk some fantasy. I'm always open to your questions if you want to shoot them at me. And how, how can I not lead off the show, though, with Christian Wade? Is it not the coolest thing that's ever happened in an NFL preseason, in an exhibition schedule? It's so cool. It's not even just that it's this guy out of nowhere. It's that he was a star in another sport. And his first two touches playing in a football game, other like pra- not including practice, because that's not really a real game. It's not even high school. It's not college. It's not the NFL. It's practice. It's in a controlled environment. This is his first opportunity to play the sport in an uncontrolled environment. And his first two touches are just awesome. It's a run against the Colts. Well, yes, someone called in earlier today on the station and was trying to make the point that, well, the right tackle did an amazing job. He pushed the whole line to the left, and he got to the second level and he took out the linebacker. You know, fair enough. But Christian Wade, with what I think you can easily tell he's got, which is speed, he beats that safety to open field, and he made it look easy. And then, if you didn't think that was really impressive... That run he had after the catch on Friday, that was something that like a real player with potential has in him. You cut to the right, you draw in the safety to overcommit on your hip, and then you stop and you cut upfield with the lateral quickness that is going to get you through three tacklers like that, while also having the balance to take some contact and keep going. He showed that a couple times on that run against the Panthers. So, am I saying Christian Wade should make the team? I'm not saying Christian Wade should make the team. But he should make the practice squad, especially when they have an allocation they can use on him for free. And I think the guy's got some real potential as an athlete at that position. I think there is something there. There could be. He's got to teach him the sport. And the overarching thing that I think Wade is kind of affecting for me is the fact that he's really not affecting the running back group. And there's almost nothing he can do to do that. And he's an example of why you don't sign Frank Gore and keep LaShawn McCoy. 
Because your backfield, with veteran players like that, with older running backs like that, this is something I've really wanted the Bills to get away from since McDermott got here and that they haven't with Mike Tolbert and then Chris Ivory and then Frank Gore and having McCoy the entire time, is when your backfield is set up in that way, you're always taking away an opportunity for a young player that has a high ceiling, a high potential, and a guy that could be here for a long time. As opposed to cycling in the best veteran on the market year after year after year. The backfield is set up so where if a guy comes out of nowhere, like Christian Wade, you basically have no room to keep him around. And that's not really the way a lot of other teams are set up. Like, I think about New England for that. New England, year after year, have running backs that come out of nowhere. Remember Jonas Gray a couple years back? Just flew out of nowhere and had that one amazing game. You want to know why? Because he got an opportunity to play. And I'd like the Bills to get to a point where their backfield is filled with enough, enough youth and... Not as many veterans, so that when the next Christian Wade comes along, we can actually have the conversation about, all right, should we commit a roster spot to this guy because of his potential, because of his ceiling, and because we would like to see him help us this year and not have to sit him on the practice squad all year. I'd like to see the Bills get to a point where that can be talked about, but I don't think they're there. As, as long as this backfield is set up the way it is, I don't think you can have a serious conversation about the rugby guy, Christian Wade, making the bills. Someone would have to go. In fact, if you wanted to have a serious conversation about it, like if they, if he lights it up in the next two preseason games, if he puts four preseason games together with a moment or a significant amount of touches where you think, all right, this guy's really got something that if we give him a couple of months, by some point in the regular season, he's going to help us. We'll keep him inactive until that happens. Two guys have to go for me for that. And that, to be fair, it's not completely impossible. Almost impossible. Not completely. Because if a team comes calling tomorrow with a, a... third round pick, or maybe even a fourth round pick, I still believe the Bills would trade LaShawn McCoy. And TJ Yeldon might be a fumble or two away from getting himself cut too. Now he looked really good I thought last game, so he kind of, he put some some distance back away from the roster bubble after he uh, fumbled in week one of the preseason. But it's not crazy to me to think Hey, they like Sonoris Perry on special teams. They know what they've got in Marcus Murphy. This Wade guy might have some super special talents that we never thought would be there. And then Singletary looks great, and you know what Frank Gore is. That's still a pretty good running back, core. That's still not that bad. Especially if Singletary is what I think we're all hoping he is, which is one of the next dynamic young running backs in the league. And how Christian Wade factors into it is, for real, right now, I don't think he does factor into it. But, again, I would like to see the Bills get to a point where a guy like that doesn't have to be an international player, doesn't have to be British, but the next running back that comes out of nowhere and shows some promise has a real opportunity, not just even to make the team, but to get some touches once in a while in the regular season, because that's what a lot of the great young or the great offenses in the league are doing, and the Bills have not been doing that, at least with that position. So, at the end of the day, what should they do with Christian Wade, and what are their options? 
Sal's got a piece on at WGR550.com that you could check out. It kind of lays out what their options are. Practice squad, like the normal practice squad where he'd be subject to waivers and he would be subject for another team to pick him up and put them on their practice squad or on their active roster maybe. And then the other one is they could put him on the practice squad with the international allocation, but he can't come off it the entire year. That's the difference. They could put him on the regular practice squad, and if they think he's ready midway through the year, then they can call him up. But if they do this international allocation thing, he is safe. No one else can touch him, but you can't have him until on the active roster until next season. Then there's putting him on the active roster, which I really just don't think is in the cards. I don't see a scenario where he's able to do that unless two guys above him on the depth chart are moved on from. And at this point, I would think that's very unlikely, while not completely impossible. What I would do with him, I would use the international allocation thing, I'd put him on the practice squad, and I would say, we'll see you in 2020. We're going we're gonna to teach you football, we're gonna, you're going to work on your tendencies, you're going to work on some of your instincts that you might have, and, you know, catching the football, carrying the football, you want to hide tight, all, all, that, all that simple stuff that he's got to learn. And then maybe we'll even get to special teams at one point. Because a lot of times depth running backs have to do that too. So that's a lot on his plate. And that's too much, I think, for him to have learned at this point. So why risk it? Because to me, I see him running against the Colts. And I'm not kidding you. I know he's not him. He's not Tyreek Hill. He reminded me of Tyreek Hill when he was running. Maybe it was just his strides. Like they're super quick strides, and it's almost like his his. It's almost like Darren Sproles esque. So small, but yet it just seems like he's hard to bring down, almost because of how short he is, and how muscular he is. So. I saw some real potential there in that second run especially. Even the first one, you saw the speed. The second one, I think you saw the complete running back on display. A guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. A guy that has that breakaway speed where he hits open field. He can take it to the house or near uh, the goal line. And he also has the elusiveness to break some tackles as well as the physicality to break some tackles. That's something I'd like to see them work with. That's something I'd like to see factor into their running back core at some point if they could figure out the rest of it. Like, I, If you told me right now that in 2020, their running back core is going to consist of Devin Singletary, Christian Wade, a practice squad guy, and maybe like some fourth-round draft pick from next year, I'm fine with that. I really would be. Even if you told me it was Singletary, TJ Yeldon, and Christian Wade and a practice squad guy, fine. Or a special team guy. I'm still okay with that. The only thing with him is that he doesn't really have on his side is he's not that young. He's 28. So I don't really know how to talk about what his what his uh, workload has been in rugby. Because like, generally you think about a running back and it's like, oh, look at all the mileage on them. They're 28, 29, 30 years old. Like, oh, it's, we're coming up on it. But I don't really know how to how to think about what kind of mileage he has. He played rugby, which is a very physical sport, but I don't think it's like football where, well, maybe it is, where the running back, almost every time the running back gets the ball, there is contact coming. Like, that's how the play ends. And when you're a running back, you're getting force-fed. 
200, 300 times a game sometimes, or a, a season sometimes, if you're really good. Like, look at T, look at uh, Devin Singletary. He's already got 700 touches on his, on his, on those legs. So, maybe Wade might have a couple more years if he's really good because of that factor, but... That would be the other, th- the only thing I think riding against him that maybe you would think I wouldn't want to do it. Like maybe if he was 24 or 25 years old, they would think, all right, let's put him on the active roster. We're not going to risk it. Or let's put him on the practice squad. We're not going to risk it. But he's 28, and they could think, all right, we're we really going to go through all of this for one or two seasons. I think it would be worth it, though, because when I saw that guy running on Friday night, I saw a guy that if you can figure out a way to use that, there's some athleticism there. And he's he reminds me of the type of running back I want out of the Bills. The small scat back. Like Tariq Cohen. Like they have not had that. They have had big and bruising with Mike Tolbert and Chris Ivory and Frank Gore. They have had LaShawn McCoy, who's more of a featured back. He's not really the 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 PPR monster for you fantasy players. Like he's not going to catch the ball 60, 70 times a year. And they've had like Travars Cadet, who's kind of a makeshift version of what I'm talking about. But where's their James White? Where's their Tariq Cohen? Where is their Austin Eckler? Where is their Alvin Kamara, if you want the best version of that? A guy who not only can run the ball for you, but if you want him to catch the ball 50, 60 times, he possesses that capability as well. And I'm not saying Christian Wade can do that, but he reminded me of that type of player when he was running and breaking loose on Friday. The last thing I want to say on him is, isn't he just the ultimate example of you can find running backs anywhere, anywhere, another sport, another country, another continent. They found this guy. He's never played running back in his life, and he's good at it. So far, he's averaging like 70 yards of touch, isn't he? You can literally find running backs anywhere. It is just exhibit Z to why you don't need to spend first-round picks on it. You don't need to trade significant assets for it. You don't need to dish out big contracts for it. There are so many good running backs. And honestly, if they're not even that good, if your offensive line is great, they're going to look good. You see what's going on with Tony Pollard in the preseason in Dallas? I know it's just the preseason, but I'll be honest. I think if and Tony Pollard's the Cowboys running back, if uh, currently with Zeke out, fourth round rookie. If Zeke, Zeke Elliott is not playing for the Cowboys week one, I guarantee you people are going to be talking about, oh, look how good Tony Pollard is. Do they need Ezekiel Elliott? Is Tony Pollard really that good? Maybe. But with that offensive line, they sure can make running backs look good. All you got to do is hit the hole and have some sort of athleticism. That's not all it takes, but... There's a reason that this has become a trend around the league. And there's a reason that Christian Wade can break off big runs at a position he's never played before. Is because you can find running backs anywhere to do what you want to do. I think it's possible the Bills have kind of broke that mold. They've broke free of that restraint that they've always had with McGahee and and the whole list. McGahee and Spiller and Lynch and trading for McCoy, all of it. I want to think they've broken away from that, but I think we'll really get a sense of it after this year. Like, what do they think of Devin Singletary? 
What do they think of a third-round running back? Do they think of that as a change-of-pace guy? Do they think of as a guy who is part of a committee? Or do they think that can be a legitimate starting running back? It Time will tell. Because if they show up next year, and McCoy's not here anymore because his contract expires and he's in his early 30s, and Gore's not here because he's 50 years old, and if TJ Yeldon's not here because he's only on a one-year deal, I think he's only, only on a one-year deal, and like that's just it, that's what's left, how do they go about complementing what they've already got? Which, at this point, I think you could only count on it being Singletary. How would they complement him? Would they do it with a veteran back, the way they've done it? Because even though that's not doing the the version of what I'm talking about would be that I want to do, which is where you're bringing in mid-round draft picks or rookies or young guys to come in and fill the void, but you're at least going the cheap route, which is at least part of what you're looking for. Would they do that? Would they do what I'm talking about? Would they draft a guy in the fourth or the fifth round to compliment him? Or will they get excited and go trade for Melvin Gordon? Or will they, if they're picking somewhere in the mid to late first round, will they think, all right, I'm going to go pick the next Josh Jacobs. The next, uh, I'm going to go pick the next, I don't know, Rashad Penny was the first round pick two years ago at running back. Will they do that? And I'm hoping it's going to be one of the first options there. Either a cheap veteran or a a mid-round draft pick that can come in and complement a guy who was a fairly high draft pick for the position in Singletary. And maybe, just maybe, Christian Wade factors into all of that if they decide and find a way to keep him around for this entire year, most likely on the practice squad. And by the way, quickly, I don't really think you have to... Yeah, I don't think you have to take the risk. I don't think you have to take the risk of losing him and seeing what you've got in him. By putting him on the real practice squad. One, you're taking away a practice squad spot from somebody else. If you want to put Duke Williams there. If you want to put David Sills there. If you want to put Tyree Jackson there. You have one less position to do that. And for what? Because it, the way they have built it up. I don't agree with how they've done it. But where they where they sit today. They've got four running backs. That know the offense. And that are at least decently good. In Yeldon, Singletary, McCoy, and Gore. So unless they just got ravaged with injuries, I don't think they're going to get to a spot where you're going to be saying, oh, I wish they had Christian Wade on the field because we really need a running back. I just don't think you get to that point. 803-0550 is the phone number. If you call in the next five minutes, we'll get you right on in the top of the next segment. Um, I want to talk some about the Bills receivers, though. Cole Beasley led the team in targets on Friday. He kind of showed up. But I'm not really buying in yet on him fully being like the leader on the team in receptions and targets and all of it. But maybe. I'll go into that next. And uh, in coming up at, at some point tonight, we'll hear from Greg Cosell, who's always a good listen, breaking down film with the guys on One Bills Live. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Call in right now. We'll get John after the break here on WGR. You know, I think we're getting better to read each other. Still an open line of communication that we're still having and looking at certain routes and certain plays and just me asking him what he would do in certain situations and him asking me where I would put the ball in certain situations. So um, we're going to continue to develop that. I know in the game it, was, it looked pretty nice, but, you know, we still got a long ways to go uh, to get to where we want to get to. That is Josh Allen, and he is speaking on Cole Beasley and the chemistry they have built together. It was on display on Friday. He was the highest targeted receiver on the team. 
And there was a concerted effort by Allen to hit Beasley with those short to intermediate routes. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll get into that in just a second. We were talking Christian Wade, whether he should affect the running back core in any degree, what they should do with him, practice squad with the uh, international allocation, normal practice squad, or even active roster. I don't know. I see some potential in him for sure, but I'm not quite at the point where I'm ready to put him on the active roster. Uh, 8030550, like I said, is the phone number. Let's go to Kirk first. Kirk, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey. Love your show, man. Thanks, man. Um, the the thing with uh, Wade is that we we got to understand that he hasn't played this game forever. You know, he's played rugby. And it's awesome, but no, he's not. You you cannot like let you know. He's a couple nice plays, whatever. I think the fourth game will be something that they uh, the fourth preseason game they'll throw him into everything or as much as he knows in there. And then after that, there'll be a decision made. Um, other than that, I, I, it's nice, but um, it's nothing to mm-hmm. freak out about in my mind. Um, yeah, Kirk, th- Ken, thanks for the call, man. I, I do wonder, though, how we would all feel about it, how differently we would feel about it if he had... Like what was that first play? Was it sixty-five yard touchdown? If instead of one carry for sixty-five yards and a touchdown, how we would feel if in that game he had nine carries for sixty-five yards and a touchdown? How would we feel last game if instead of two carries for four yards and then the one reception for sixty yards, would we feel better about it if he had seven touches for seventy yards? Because you know. Sample size, you might feel a little better about it. But at the end of the day, you're getting the same production, but you're getting it a lot more efficiently. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what's happening. So I'm, I don't want to just chalk it up to being a fluke. I think it would be a fluke if I didn't trust his athleticism to kind of be what was showed, put on display there. That speed and that contact balance he showed against the Colts, I'm one to think that's not fluky. Because that he looked very natural doing it. And given his background, rugby, maybe that would be like his forte. Like big play guy. I don't know. I do wonder too. Like He, he strikes me as, because of his skill set, a guy who could be very good at returning kicks and returning punts. But, I mean, he's he's barely learning running back. That's a whole nother animal. I think you got to teach him, um, like when to fair catch. What even is a fair catch? When when like what yard line to do it? Um, how much you want to go backwards? Like what lanes you want to take on that kick returning? How deep in the end zone before you shouldn't take it out? I just think that's almost too much. So even though the the natural skill set is there for him as a returner as well. Uh, that maybe that, that's why you put him on the practice squad for a whole year. You give him enough time to not only learn running back, but maybe you could teach him how to return, teach him how to be on a, on special teams, give him a better shot to make the team outright next season. That's what I would be building towards. Instead of worrying about could he help me this year, and let's risk giving him up to any other team by doing that. Let's keep him on the team. Let's keep him in the organization. We'll give him the whole year, and we will set our sights on 
him being able to make the team in 2020. That's what the goal should be for me with Christian Wade. Can he make the team in 2020? Because I just don't see a way he's going to do it this year, and I don't want to risk losing him if that's not going to happen. Thank you for the call. I want to change gears, though, here to wide receiver and the Bills. And if you just missed it there with uh, with Josh Allen, he was talking about getting some chemistry down with Cole Beasley. And he wasn't the only guy that was talking about it. I mean, Brian Dable, if you check his, his story out, sales got on our website, WGR5D.com, of Dable talking about the receivers. Here actually is Brian Dable talking about the what the Bills receiving core looks like today. It's really what we want to try to, to work on and practice against, play against, if you will. Cole and Smoke was out last game. You can't get enough reps doing those things against live competition. How you get played in a competitive situation is a little bit different than practice, so we need as much of that as we can get. And don't forget, Smoke, John Brown, did not play last week. I think that might be a contributing factor to why the Bills went so heavily at Cole Beasley. Brown's not in. Who are the guys he's working on? We're working with Allen to get on the same page with, the new guys. So Brown's not here, so let's let's throw it all at Beasley. Because otherwise, Zay Jones in the field, we, we know what he can do. Foster, we know what he can do to a better extent, at least with Allen. Let's see if Allen can use this type of receiver because I am not sold yet that he will use this receiver. He did it on Friday. Sure, it's the preseason. I am not sold that in the regular season, Cole Beasley is going to lead this team in targets or lead this team in receptions. It could happen. His skill set is one that Allen should use. And to be honest, Allen started using that type of receiver last year towards the end of the year. They didn't really have a guy like that at the beginning, and then when Isaiah McKenzie got here, you saw him and Allen starting to hook up a little bit towards the end of the year. That was Allen's way of using his slot receiver, although McKenzie maybe did a little bit more damage downfield. Beasley could be something similar to what McKenzie provided Allen last year, but better. But I'm not sold that's going to happen. Look at what this quarterback has been his entire life. He, and why you drafted him, he is stretching the field and he's throwing it downfield. And I'm not saying he won't do that if Beasley is leading the team in targets or receptions, but I just can't believe that this quarterback, who led the league last year in air yards per attempt, is going to suddenly throw his instincts to the way to the wind and start checking it down twice as much as he normally would. I think if he's going to see John Brown streaking down the field, I still think he is taking that chance before he is throwing it to an open Cole Beasley four yards down the field. I just still think that's who your quarterback is, and I'm fine with that. I am fine with that. As long as he uses Beasley to an extent. I don't need him to lead the team in targets. I don't need him to lead the team in receptions. I do want him used. You paid him, and there's a reason he's on the team. You want a receiver like that. But... I'm not here for this offense to stop doing what it did well last year, which was throwing the ball down the field with Robert Foster. Now you have Brown plus Foster is still here. So that's probably part of the reason you obviously signed both of them is you want to upgrade your down the field targets, but you also want the guy in the slot that you didn't really have. 
but will he use him to the extent that everybody's talking about right now, that everybody's psyched up about on Friday? I, I was in a fantasy draft where Cole Beasley went like four or five rounds before I was expecting him to go. Do you want to why? Because people think that suddenly after Friday, Allen's going to start checking it down all the time to this guy. And he's going to, but not all the time. If I were still going to grade out what Cole Beasley's stats are going to look like this year, I think they're going to look very similar to what they've been in Dallas. If he, was, if he had went to New England, this would be a whole different story. I tell you, he would he should have been like a fifth-round pick in fantasy. The guy's going to catch 100 balls. But he's here. And I think his stats are going to look like what they were in Dallas. Last year in Dallas, he caught 65 passes for 672 yards and three touchdowns. 65 catches. I would take the under right now for that. I would take the under. It'll be around there. It's a good number for that, I think. But even the year before that, like if you look at his track record, he is not a he's a very he's very good at what he does, but he has not been a high volume target share guy. Look at his reception. 65, 9, 36. 75, 52, 37, 39. Like, that's his career. Somewhere between, you know, 30, really since he hit his prime, somewhere between 40 and 65 catches. 70, he had 75 the one year. Somewhere between 50 and 75 seems to be about right for Beasley. Although he had a couple of 36, he had 36, 37, 39, and then 75. So he's kind of all over the place, depending on who his quarterback was. Um, I just tend to think that it's going to be somewhere around 50 catches for 600 yards and a couple of touchdowns. And that's a guy that I like to have. That's a guy who would have led the team in receiving the past two years. But I think I'm getting more out of John Brown this year than I'm getting out of that. I think John Brown is the one that we're really not talking about, but that's for good reason. He didn't play on Friday. But I think once the regular season shows up, John Brown is going to be this team's best receiver, the way it's trending. I think his style fits best with Allen. I think talent-wise, he's actually the best. I think that Robert Foster not having a so great camp is going to help this for Brown. I think Zay Jones' struggles will always help that for Brown. I think he might be the guy you're going to rely on the most. because of, And it's not just his down-the-field threat. I think it's what's been talked about enough about him and maybe should have been talked about more throughout training camp and the first preseason game, is Brown doesn't just get open by running straight. He is going to run across the middle of the field. He is going to run the short to intermediate routes too if you need him to. And he's going to find a way to get open any way he can get open. It's not just deep threat. And I think that's going to fit with what Allen wants to do. Or should want to do. If it's third and four, yes. Throw a six yard uh, out to Cole Beasley. Get the first. But if it's sec- if it's first and ten, and Beasley's open five yards away, and Brown is a little less open, but he's thirty yards down the field, I want him taking that shot to John Brown. And I think he's just as good at what he does as Cole Beasley is at what he does. So if you ask me right now, I'm still taking John Brown not only to lead this team in yards, but I would almost still put him as the leader in targets. I think I would do it. I would put John Brown as the leader in targets, not Cole Beasley. And certainly not at this point, Zay Jones or Robert Foster. I don't is Zay Jones even a lock to make this team? Does he have to be a lock? Does he have to be? 
Me personally, I'm done. I don't I don't need to see anymore. He's okay. But if I think that Foster's ceiling is higher and it's going to come down to Zay Jones and Isaiah McKenzie and Duke Williams, I, I want to take a shot on a guy I don't really know a whole lot about, like Duke Williams. I, I'm almost there. Because I think I know what I've got in Zay Jones. I think I've got a guy who is, he's okay at everything, he's not really great at anything, and when you really need him to make a catch, there's a good to fair chance that he's not going to he, drop it. Tough catches, I'm not seeing a whole lot of them. So I don't think he needs to be a lock to make this team, although I would say I would be very surprised if he is uh, if he's not in this team against the Jets. 803-0550 is the number. If you got any thoughts on the receiver position? And uh, quick hockey thought when we come back. There's an NHL network list out that everybody's getting up in arms about. We talked a little bit about the center list they did a couple of weeks ago. Well, over the weekend, NHL network put out their top 20 defensemen, and to say the least, there's uh, one guy on there that is ahead of Rasmus Dahlin that really shouldn't be. We'll touch on that after the break. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks for listening here on WGR. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I always value most the contacts I have direct with the players. And I had mentioned to you that I've spoken to all the players. And I had a very long call with Risto early on in, you know, at the end of May or it was the middle of May, actually, and all the indications there were to be behind what we're doing here as a coaching staff. And so that's my mandate, is to take the players that are under contract here right now and get the best out of them. I'm excited to work with him. Sabres coach Ralph Kruger. Once in a while, i got to remember that he's the coach and remember that I'm happy about that. Because it's tough to you know be happy about anything that's going on on the ice for the Sabres, but... I like the coach they picked, and that's him talking about Rasmus Ristolainen. Um, he's still on the Sabres for now. Saw a report earlier today that while he could, it's not set in stone that he'll be traded, that he very well could be on this team on opening night, that there uh, there is still hope that a deal will get done. I would bet on a deal getting done, but probably not until our, this RFA madness gets settled. And that might not be until the season. So, maybe Ristolainen ends up starting the year here just because any trade destination you would want to send him to won't have things figured out in time to make the deal. So, maybe Ristolainen's here to start the year. Um, That is not the defenseman, though, I wanted to talk about coming into the segment. NHL Network did a 20th, or, uh, or did a top 20 of the best defenseman in the NHL, and... Is this really going to be a debate? Miro Heiskanen versus Rasmus Dahlin? Really? So Heiskanen is 17th. Dahlin's not on the list. 
I don't know if you've watched a lot of Miro Heiskin and if you're out there listening with the stars. He's not as good as Darlene. He's just not. The numbers don't tell you that. The eye test doesn't tell you that. I don't really know what is supposed to tell you that. I don't know why people think this is a close thing. It's like the it's almost like McDavid Eichel. But we don't really like we all recognize that Eichel is great. He is amazing. But any Sabre fan in their right mind is not going to try to argue to an Oiler fan that Eichel is better than McDavid. It's just not the case. It's just not. A guy can be amazing and not be as good as somebody else. And I think that's what you have right now with this whole Heiskin and Darlene thing. Except for the fact that people are wanting to argue that Heiskinen's better. That would be like if I was trying to argue Eichel's better than McDavid. It's just, he's great. I don't want to bash him. But there's just another layer of Darlene's game, another level he can go to that Heiskinen just doesn't have. And I think of it in like a, there's a dynamic offensive ability that Darlene has that I just don't see in Heiskinen. I think Heiskinen's a very good offensive defenseman, and I think he's about as good as it gets in his own end and passing the puck through through the neutral zone. But when it comes to playmaking and creating in the offensive end, Darlene is on another level already, and he's one year younger. He's just played as a rookie. He's an 18-year-old. Heiskanen has been in the league for two years. I think they're both going to be two of the best defensemen in the NHL for the next decade. But Darlene's better, and Darlene will be better. It's Eichel McDavid. McDavid is on another level than what Eichel is. Even though back in the day we thought, oh, there's two guys. Like It's fine, as long as I get one of them. Fair enough. The tank was totally worth it. They got the guy. But winning that lottery would have been something extra. Because McDavid is that good. He's the best, I think he's the best hockey player who's ever lived. And I think he's certainly the best player in the world right now. And Darlene, I think you're going to reach a point in the next few years where he is the best defenseman in the NHL. And if he's not, he's going to be right there. And I think Heiskin will just be you know, one step lower. Amazing. He'll win a Norris or two, but Darlene possesses the ability to win eight Norrises. What did Lidstrom win? Whatever that is. Whatever that number is. Like, that's the potential that Darlene has that he could unlock. And I just don't think Heiskanen has that extra gear like Darlene does. Darlene can go coast to coast, making three guys looking silly along the way. Remember that? What was that play against the Kings? It cycled around social media a lot. He went, he didn't even, I don't think, score on it. He got a chance at the end. He had the puck for 40 seconds going around Dustin Brown, Kopitar, and Doughty, and like the best the Kings had, just skating circles around him, going from his own corner all the way up the ice, carrying the puck into the offensive end, going around behind the net, back out to the point, making a guy look stupid, went off the screen for a second, and then he gets an open slap shot, he puts it right on net, very well could have ended up in the back of the net. That's a play that I just don't think Heiskanen has. Even though he's super good. I'm not taking anything away from him. I just think Darlene is just something extra special. And he should have been on that top 20 list. But I'm not going to get too worked up over it. Because, to be honest, it's an NHL Network ranking in August. How much research and data you really think they put into it? Like, really put into it. And the fan vote, I don't care about. They had Colton uh, Parekel, like, third. Like, come on. <laughs> third. But 
how, think about it. How much thought do you think they really put into it? Take some solace in knowing that the NHL network guys, they just kind of say everything nice about everybody. That's really not where you want to go for unbiased, uh, objective, critical analysis. It's just not really where you want to go for that. Now, if someone, if like Travis Yost came out and said Heisken is better than Darlene, then I might perk up and think, okay, why is that? But the NHL Network guys, just don't don't worry about it. If you're a Sabre fan and you're really like annoyed by it, just don't worry about it. 803-0550 is the phone number. We're going to transition back into the Bills. We'll hear from Greg Cosell in the second hour. Uh, as normal, really good with One Bills Live, breaking down some film. Allen Beasley, Duke Williams, too, who may have thrown his hat into the ring to make this team at wide receiver after that amazing touchdown catch that he caught on Friday. So the nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. <laughs> I think we really got something here. What do we got? An idea. What idea? An idea for the show. I still don't know what the idea is. It's about nothing. Right. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. The Nightcap. They say, what's your show about? I say nothing. There you go. I think you may have something here. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Gotta love the Seinfeld opens. Should have more of them. Every episode, a different open. I'm in. There's definitely some... There, There has got to be open-worthy material in every single Seinfeld episode ever. It is, in my opinion, the funniest show ever made. Now, Kirby Enthusiasm, to me, is a close second. And they're kind of on the same wavelength. Now, that one, not the same. Tough to find open-worthy material in Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you ever watch the show, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Speaking of TV shows, while we're on the subject, I am uh, one to... I don't know if you're like this, but like Netflix and HBO Now and Showtime and Hulu, any any uh, streaming platform that you watch your TV on these days, I'm usually one to skip the theme, especially like, you know, Netflix, it says it comes up, the theme song starts, like you want to skip, skip the intro, always hit the yes, almost always, like the very few instances where I don't, Breaking Bad is one, that's really only because it's so short in the first place, Um, The Office once in a while, you know, you want to hear it once, that's about it, usually you watch six Office episodes at a time, I don't need to hear it six times. But, one show that's on right now, and that is one of the best shows out there that's on right now. Every single time this theme song plays, I am leaving it on. I don't care if I'm binge-watching it. I am hearing it every time. And that is Succession on HBO. If you don't know the show, you're missing out, and you should find a way to catch it because it's super good. The theme song is super good. Like, it just makes you feel some kind of way. It gets you ready for for what's coming. So, that's like, that's a, that's a Hall of Fame TV theme song. Now, me saying that, I think I now have to create a Hall of Fame of TV theme songs. I don't have that ready to go. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, definitely in there, though. First ballad, I can give you that. Um, so, I'll think a little bit more about the TV song Hall of Fame. We'll maybe figure that out. But I want to get back into the Bills here. Greg Cosell, who is 
from NFL Films and also ESPN Matchup is always diving in and he's breaking it down. And he joined Murph and Tasker again today. He watched the Bills preseason game against the Colts. Josh Allen, Cole Beasley. Also, Duke Williams. What do the Bills have in this guy? Because I'm intrigued by him and I might, uh, I'm might. i starting to think about him making the team maybe a little bit. Um, so that's another thing we could, they'll, they'll talk about here. Here is Greg Cosell with the guys. On the line with us, our guest this hour, he is executive producer, analyst for NFL Matchup on ESPN, senior producer at NFL Films. Happy to have Greg Cosell on the line. Hello, Greg. How you doing? Murph, Steve, what's happening, my friends? We're just cooling off from a week in Carolina that was blisteringly hot down there. Well, well, it's going to be blisteringly hot here in the Philadelphia area this week. Yeah, gotcha. They'll stay inside and watch film for us. Well, you know, I, I, I guess I'll have to fix my helmet to make sure it's okay for That's this week. Right. <laughs> We're going to get, we'll, believe me, we'll get to that. What I, what I wanna, we're going to ask you, uh, Bills fans are, are, uh, all, uh, are giddy with the way the team has played in the first two preseason games. Yep. What did you see in Josh Allen in this last game against Carolina? Well, I'll tell you what I really liked about Josh, and this is something that needs to be a part of what he does. And and I love the way he hit Beasley on a lot of these short passes that require pace and touch because that was an area he needed to improve dramatically. And Beasley is really good. He's really good in particular when he's lined up, Steve, as number three to trips because you're going to get him working either on a safety or a linebacker depending on whether the defense is playing nickel or dime. And that's where Beasley is so good running those, as you know, what are called either option or choice routes. And he's so good at creating separation with those little jerk moves. And and that's the way you move the chains when it's third and four, third and five. You know, obviously Beasley's not a deep threat, so he's the kind of guy that might average 10 yards a reception. But those kinds of plays on third and four, third and five are absolutely critical to an offense. And those are the throws I think that Josh really needed to get better at. And I thought he did a really good job with those throws uh, this past week. Hey, Greg, um, you know, we know Josh Allen. The accuracy has always kind of followed him around 52% completion percentage last year. But I know they're only preseason games, but I think we're seeing evidence that um, from these two preseason games that it's really more of a function of the type of throws he's attempting as opposed to whether or not he's accurate with the pass. Can can we make that assumption after two games? What do you think? Um, Well, look – the coaching staff knows Josh Allen. They, they know him better than we do. Uh, and there are certain throws you have to make that require precise ball placement. I thought his, his 22-yard completion to Sweeney on the first possession, that to me was the kind of throw that was critical to his development. Because that was a pace and touch throw with really precise ball placement. And it was a really well-designed route concept. And that was the throw that had to be made. And that's the kind of throw you're looking for him. Uh, we know he can drive the ball down the field. We know he can make throws off movement. We know that about him. What you're looking uh, at for with him are the pocket throws that demand touch and demand precise ball location. And I thought the one, the 22 yarder in particular, is this Sweeney on that first possession. I think that really said a lot, and you're hoping that that can continue. Are you talking about the corner route or the one down the seam? No, the corner route. Yeah, the corner route. I, I agree with you. It was a real. It was a touch throw uh, out wide to the field, and he made it on time, and and he dropped it in. I thought it was a great throw. I, yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's move to the other side of the football. Let's talk about Ed Oliver down inside. You know, getting in uh, to game setting against a, a Panthers offensive line. He had one batted down pass. How, what else did you see from Ed Oliver? You know. I- 
In all honesty, and I really like Oliver coming out, but I think he struggled a little bit. And, and, you know, don't forget, he's not a big guy. And I think his lack of size has been a little bit of a factor in the two preseason games. There's been some snaps in which he's just been engulfed. Um, you know, I think that obviously he's a quickness player and an athletic player, and he's playing the three-technique position, which, you know, normally that's where you play your quickness defensive tackle. Uh, he needs to, I think, be taught a lot more about rushing the quarterback, and I think that was evident when he was coming out of Houston. He's not a refined pass rusher. Because uh, in this league, as you know, Steve, you need more than athleticism and quickness to develop into a quality pass rusher. You need to use your hands well. You need counter moves. You need to set up people. So I think he's learning all this, and this will be a little bit of a process. Um, but, again, it's always tough to, to make judgments about a player when he plays, you know, 20 or 25 snaps. Uh, so, but I do think that the lack of size is something that they need to work through because he's going to be playing against much bigger offensive linemen. Right, and, and as you, you talk, going down the list of players who kind of flashed a little bit maybe for the first time, Cole Beasley you mentioned early where, I mean, the thing that I think got people in Buffalo fan the Buffalo fan base really excited was it looked so easy from Josh Allen to Cole Beasley. Yes. I mean, it was just – there was nothing to it. And uh, I mean, that – can't happen all the time, can it? Well, I think that's Beasley's game. I mean, look, obviously he's not going to catch eight, nine balls every single week because he's not going to catch 140 balls. But I think when all said and done, that's Cole Beasley's game. He works inside, whether he's the, the slot to, to twins, the two-receiver side, or whether he's number three to trips inside uh, like that. You know, that's his game. That's what he does. You know, he wins uh, those routes uh, in those critical type situations because ultimately that's what this offense needs. It needs to move the chains. Um, you know, obviously Josh hit some big plays last year and he made some big plays with his legs, but you want to be able to move the chains throwing the ball. You know, you mentioned the seam ball to Sweeney, which came later. Uh, I guess it was the second or I don't, I forget how many possessions Josh played, but I think it was his last possession, you know, and that was, that was another designed play because they, they put Sweeney on the line of scrimmage as the single receiver to that side of the field and he ran the seam. And that was, that was a beautiful throw. Uh, you know, again, there was some pace and touch on that throw. It was kind of a firm touch throw. Uh, and, and I think that's the kind of throw, too, that you look for from Josh Allen. But Beasley, I think, has a chance to be a really big factor in this offense. Yeah, I, and I hope that's right, Greg. But I, I found myself, and I know I'm way ahead of uh, everything here, but is there any danger that Josh becomes so enamored of Cole Beasley, knowing where he'll be, uh, knowing how, as Steve said, how easy those throws can be, that he – he forgets about forcing the issue, you know, forcing it downfield a little bit. They have to, they have to keep an eye on that, right? Well, that's situational, Murph. Yeah. You know, when it's third and four, you're okay with that. I mean, I, you know, obviously they're going to design plays and call plays where he's going to throw to wide receivers, you know, and also we're getting a small sample size. Right. So it's really difficult to make any definitive judgment about what this means for the season other than the fact that this is what Beasley does. This is why he was brought in. They didn't have this guy a year ago. You know, he, he gives you that in those situations. Uh, Beasley's more of a situational player than he is, you know, a big-time wideout. But he certainly can give you the ability to move the chains on third-down situations. One of the other guys that got an opportunity in Carolina was Duke Williams, who oh, yeah. made a couple of catches, made the nice red zone grab for the touchdown, yep. a nice little dig route. But then also, the thing I noticed, Greg, was he was on the edge of the formation and blocked really well in the run game. 
Well, I got to tell you, Steve, he's got really strong hands. I mean, that, and I remember him when he came out of Auburn, um, but which is a number of years ago. But I remember him. He's a big guy. He's a physical guy. He's got strong hands. I mean, he played mostly with Barkley, I guess. But I mean, a lot of those, you know, quick inbreakers, sort of the long slants. You know, he snatches the ball. Um, It'll be interesting to see because there's a lot of wide receivers now that are here, and I don't know. You know, we know obviously probably the top three, I guess. I, I would it be John Brown, Beasley, and Zay Jones? Or would they be considered the top three at this sure. point? Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, it's close enough anyway. I mean, they're up, they're in the mix anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, John Brown and Beasley are not getting cut. So you know, and I don't right. think Zay Jones will either. But I, you know, again, you never know. But you know, and then after that, you know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I liked Robert Foster a year ago, but it doesn't seem like he's getting a ton of snaps in these preseason games. Greg, how do we're with Greg Cosell, by the way, executive producer, analyst of NFL Matchup on ESPN. How do most teams put together their five or six man wide receiver core these days? And I guess my real question is, do most teams try to have like a mixture of body types? Because um, Duke Williams provides a body type that really no one else on the wide receiver depth chart has. Correct. Well, teams, I think think in terms of dimensions, Murph. They'd like to have every dimension. They'd like to have a speed guy who can run and stretch the defense vertically. They'd love to have a Beasley kind of guy. They'd love to have the intermediate guy. In an ideal world, they'd love to have a complete guy who can do a lot of things. Um, But teams think in terms of dimensions because dimensions give you the ability to attack and break down defense and defensive coverages. So that's what you're ultimately looking for. Usually the bottom guys in the wide receiver group, the fourth, fifth, and depending on how many you carry, if you do carry a sixth, now you're getting into special teams. You know, if you start thinking about the Isaiah McKenzie's or the McLeod's, those guys have to be special teams players. You know, and Steve knows this. I mean, that's what he was, and he was a wide receiver. But, you know, right, Steve, these guys have to be able to be special teams contributors. Well, yeah, if they're not going to see a lot of snaps on down and distance, they've got to contribute somewhere because it takes all 45 guys on game day to get it done. And you're right. A guy like Isaiah McKenzie is going to have to return kicks or cover kicks. And Andre Roberts, the same story. He's going to have to do both. So, um yeah, it's a mix of skills, and how many times are going to re- contribute on one or the other, either special teams or offense. So, yeah, I mean, Andre Roberts had a really good season for the Jets last year as a punt returner, so he's done this in the league. I mean, he's done that throughout his career, right. you know, and I know they brought him in and signed him as a free agent. So, again, you know, I don't, I'm not there every day, so I don't know how the competition is going, but I, my guess is Andre Roberts Isaiah McKenzie and Ray Ray McLeod are not all making this team. Yeah, right. Hey, Greg, um, many of us were excited when the Bills in the third round got tight end Dawson Knox. They chose one in the seventh round as well, Tommy Sweeney, who because of injuries yeah. had a chance to play. What, do you, what did you think of him pre-draft, and what do you think of his performance for these two games? Yeah, Sweeney's an interesting guy because he came out of Boston College where he was a line of scrimmage tight end because of the way they play with their run game. So he's got a lot of blocking experience on the line of scrimmage, which a lot of tight ends in college football do not. So he's got that experience in the background there. You know, he's not a great athlete. He's not one of those tight ends you look at and say, wow, I think Dawson Knox is more athletic in his movement. But, you know, uh, Sweeney, obviously, he made the really nice catch on that that uh, kind of corner route, and then he had the seam ball. Well, that was a designed play, and that didn't necessarily require Sweeney to be faster. But, you know, 
I think he's an intriguing prospect for a team. You know, I don't know what, what their tight end situation is. I mean, Knox, obviously, barring any injury, is going to make the team. He was a third-round pick. Um, what about the guys from last year? What about Kroom? I mean, I always liked that kid, but I don't know. Yeah, he's just right. kind of struggling to you know get off the injured list, had a hamstring first day yeah. of training camp. And then, of course, Tyler Croft, the former Bengal, is still here, and he might be a couple of weeks into the regular season before he's ready. And he's a pretty athletic kid. I mean, you know, he was in Cincinnati for a number of years. Uh, you know, another guy who's athletic. They, they've actually got some guys who could turn out to be nice players. But, you know, the key thing, look, a guy like Kroom, as much as I like the skill set, if he's not on the field, you know, we're not talking about Travis Kelsey. Guys like that, if they're not on the field, get cut. So, you know, I hope it works out for him because I think he's an intriguing prospect. Yeah, let's, uh, it's true. And, I, and let's kind of widen our scope a little bit outside the Buffalo Bills roster. I mean, you've got uh, – uh, guys around the league. Talk to us a little bit about what's going on maybe in, in Tennessee. We've got Chase Winovich. He's got a, a preseason game. Winovich versus the Titans. He had a really nice game. This defensive guy from, uh, uh, from New England. You know, is he going to make their defense a little better? And it's the last thing we want to hear in Buffalo about a New England <laughs> defender getting better. Well, I think he's a, he's a fascinating player for Bill Belichick because, first of all, he's obviously one of those guys that plays with great energy all the time. Uh, which everybody should, but not everybody does, as you know, Steve. But that really stands out when you watch Winovich. But more importantly, from a tactical perspective, I think he's the kind of guy that Bill will be able to move around. You know, he can line up in a number of different places. He can line up with his hand on the ground in a three-point stance. He can line up standing up as what we like to call a joker in a two-point stance moving around. I think he provides... Uh, Belichick and that defense with a lot of flexibility, and and we know that's so important to Bill because he's very opponent specific with his matchups. Um, Josh Gordon gets the the green light to come back. He he is a difference maker for New England. I think when he plays, isn't he, Greg? You know, it's funny because I thought last year, and again, you know, look, the guy's been in and out. You know, if he does train on his own, it's not the same as training with a team. Um, I didn't think last year he looked quite as explosive as he did in his earlier days in Cleveland. Now, again, I can't speak to what he is now, but he certainly is a factor. Um, you know, you could have made the argument in, for a couple of those years in Cleveland that he was arguably the best wide receiver in football because he's big and he's explosive. But I didn't see him as quite as explosive a year ago on tape. Could have been a little bit of the way New England deploys all their guys. I mean, sometimes it might be hard in, in that system to look explosive if they've got you running some disciplined routes. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking, Steve, at the way he moves. I mean, uh, you know, I just didn't see the same level of movement, but we'll see. I mean, look, he's obviously a very good player, even if he's not exactly the same as he was, you know, in 2013 or 14. Uh, but, I, you know, he, he's he's an upgrade, obviously. Uh, he's We'll see. I mean, the guy that has really stood out for New England, that wide receiver, and again, it's two preseason games, is Jacoby Myers, the rookie from North Carolina State. Well, a couple of preseason games into the season, and, and the New York Jets have decided they're not going to play Le, uh, Le'Veon Bell at yep. all in the preseason. But Sam Darnold's playing, and he's playing pretty well. What do you see from Sam? Yeah, I tell you, what's really stood out in the last game, and, and, and this to me is, is so important for quarterbacks, it was his accuracy. I mean, he made a couple of throws in that game where he was really precise with his ball location. And then you always see the second reaction playmaking dimension that's really become a staple of his game. But, you know, Darnold has looked very smooth, very comfortable. Um, I think there's a combination there with, with Darnold and with Adam Gase. I really like what Adam Gase does in terms of orchestration of offense. 
I think this is really going to be a good mix, and I know that that's the week one game, Bills-Jets. Um, that's, you know, that's turning out now to be a pretty interesting, intriguing game it week is. one. Yeah, yeah they really, really went is. up against each other once last year, right? The second matchup. That's right, the second matchup. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that a lot. We're going to compare those two, hopefully for decades, I would think, Greg, right? I mean, Well, you know, my guess is they'll both be the starting quarterbacks for their respective teams for quite some time. I yeah, mean, that's... Right. Uh, you know, and, and look, that's just great for the league when these young quarterbacks come in and they kind of make it. And they, and again, we don't know the level that they'll make it at. You know, that's hard to say. But uh, I think they're both going to be good players, and we'll see how their careers pan out. But uh, I think it'll be fun to watch over time. Yeah, down in down in Dallas, Ezekiel uh, Elliott is still not in training camp, and but the running back, his replacement, Tony Pollard, is playing. What? How big a wrench does Tony Pollard put into what they're planning to do with Ezekiel Elliott? How good has he played? Um, I mean, he's a good-sized back, Steve. He's got some subtle shiftiness and can find space. He showed some finishing power. He's never been a full-time back. So, you know, it's hard to say after five carries one week or six another week that he can line up and carry the ball 18, 20 times every week. I have an opinion about this that's based in nothing other than just an opinion. Uh, I really think at this point that Jerry Jones is, is far more interested in signing Dak Prescott and that he's not going to give Ezekiel Elliott the money that he's looking for. And if Zeke doesn't want to come in, I think Jerry is, not that he's okay with it, but I think that's the direction that he's moving in. And like I said, that's a personal opinion based on nothing. But I think in Jerry's mind, he's made the decision that Dak is the guy I'm going to pay him and we'll see about Zeke down the road. Hey, um, Greg, look, I'm sure, and, you know, you follow what goes on with the Indianapolis Colts, there's got to be a little bit of a shudder echoing through the Colts building with, you know, Andrew Luck's health yep. situation. What does that leave them with, with uh, Dak Prescott, or Jacoby Brissett, I'm, I mean, and – how you know how much? Of, that's a big drop off. is what I'm trying to say, right? They yeah, can't well, count. a great, great player. You know, I like Jacoby Brissett, and and I always did from the time he came out of North Carolina State. And I think that he could be a quality starter in this league. He's not Andrew Luck, um, but I like Brissett. And and you know, I think since they have a, if Luck truly can't play for a while. They have a very solid football team at this point, and I think that Brissett can come in and he can run your team, run your offense. Um, so I don't think this is a team that all of a sudden goes from a playoff team to being four and twelve. I think they've got a quality quarterback who is who could be an NFL starter. Yeah, and I kind of I kind of tend to agree with you as well. But I uh, one last thing about you know the Colts. I mean, what do you what are your assess What's your assessment of? And I know it's it's completely speculation, but if Jacoby Brissett, what does he play part of the season or whatever? They got off to the slow start last year. Are they good enough with Jacoby Brissett to win different ways than with the quarterback who has to run that offense? You know what I'm saying? Is their offensive yeah. line? Is their defense good enough? Are they a complete enough team to overcome the absence of a guy with the quality of Andrew Luck? I don't know if anybody is. I'm not sure that they, you know, again, that's a tough question. Um, I think they would need to get a lot more from their running game. I think they'd like to do that anyway, even if Luck plays with Marlon Mack, but I think that's a big question mark as we enter the season. I mean, I'd Luck, if I'm not mistaken, threw 39 touchdown passes last year. I would not expect Jacoby Brissett to do that. So, yes, there's a drop-off, and then other parts of your team really have to become more important in the equation. Um, the run game becomes more important. Your defense has to become a little more shut downish in given weeks. You know, you might have to win some games 17-13 instead of 28-24. Uh, you know, I think the, the dynamic of your team changes. 
Go ahead. I, I just got my last question for you, Greg. You know, Bills fans feel pretty good about first two preseason games, and we know that's only preseason. We know who's playing against who. Do you put extra stock in preseason game number three coming up this weekend because the starters go a little bit longer? I don't know. You know, I look at reps. I mean, to me, you know, when I'm evaluating, particularly, let's say, a quarterback, because I know Josh is always going to be a big topic of conversation for obvious reasons. I'm looking at the quarterback in a vacuum, isolating his traits, isolating the way he plays. Uh, for me, it, it's it's not a matter of who the competition is. Sometimes a quarterback can do everything right and make a great throw, and it's incomplete. And I still think the quarterback did a great job. So, uh, you know, to me, that doesn't necessarily matter. Obviously, uh, teams start to do more, um, whether they want to show more blitz. We know when we get to the regular season, we see more tactics. Uh, but, you know, I'm looking to see how someone like Josh Allen just improves with his traits in the areas that he needs to improve. And if you see that, then I start to feel pretty good that that will continue. Um, is he going to have some ups and downs? Look, he could have a poor third preseason game, and then what, are we going to start saying next week he's no good? Some people You know, some people That's the way people start to think. Yeah. Well, all right, let me ask you. I know that you study these guys on an individual basis, and you really don't care about who they play or what they play. But, it's you know, we, we've asked Bills fans today about their expectations. And, and the Bills have looked, as a big – as a, a unit, as a team, looked pretty solid through these per, first preseason games. And, and I'm yeah. going to ask you to kind of make a generalized statement. I know you're, you kind of study individual players, and you don't get into the big picture that much. Much. I do. But what, what, are your, what are your expectations for a team I, I, like I the mean, Bills? Look, I think if Josh Allen can, um, can be effective, okay, I don't expect him to be a 65% completion guy and throw 40 touchdowns. But I think if Josh can be relatively consistent, okay, then I think this is a very solid team. I think they're pretty good defensively. They've got a few areas that we're uncertain about, about as far as rushing the quarterback. Who's going to be, is there going to be a consistent second rusher other than Jerry Hughes? Um, I think their secondary is solid. They feel good about Levi Wallace at the other corner spot, opposite White. I, I think Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are very good defensively. Um, I've talked to some offensive coaches who say that they're a tough defense to play against because of those kinds of things Sean does. Um, you know, I think there's talent here. I think the O-line is somewhat of a question mark. So there are questions. But I think for the most part, it's a team moving in the right direction, and it's a solid football team. What that means with wins and losses, that's always a tough question for me to answer. We'll take that on August 19. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right, guys. Appreciate it. There he is, Greg Cosell, great as always. We'll take a timeout. I want to get into some around-the-league stuff after the break, including some fantasy things I picked up on from a draft that I had on Saturday. I got a couple coming up as well. Quarterback specifically, there's a game going on right now, Broncos and 49ers, 3-0 Denver in the first quarter. Starters are still in, I think. Is that Joe Flacco? Yeah, so there's Joe Flacco. So the starters are still in. The Niners are not looking good. People are worried. But again... It's preseason. Preseason pledge. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. More after this on WGR. One question about the about the statement. Because it, it did feel like there was maybe a little bit of room there in terms of his future with the team, maybe some uncertainty. So if he's available according to the league, is there any uncertainty as far as you're concerned as to whether or not he'll, he'll be with the team? Well, I mean, he hasn't even been on the field yet. 
think I covered it. That's there's nothing more to add. Bill Belichick does not want to answer questions about Josh Gordon. It's like the fourth time I've heard him ask a question about it that he just wants to move right along. Well, it's most questions with him. Josh Gordon was reinstated by the league over the weekend. And uh, he's back in New England. We'll see how long it lasts this time. He's been suspended and unsuspended and resuspended a hundred times in his career, it seems. Obviously a freak talent, but can he stay on the field long enough to do damage for the Patriots? And what's weird is through, like, you can tell how talented he is considering all the suspensions and all of it. And he's only been on two teams. He was on Cleveland for how long with all of it? And New England now is sticking with him through it. That's how talented the guy is. So, we'll see. Whether he's even playing against the Bills week four. Um, But for now, Josh Gordon is back with New England. Um, I I had a fantasy draft on Saturday. I think he went in the eighth round, ninth round maybe. So he's being drafted now. He was traded for in another league I'm in. So it's about that time. It's about fantasy football draft time. You probably, if you didn't have one this past weekend, you've got one coming up next weekend or the one after that, because we're getting really close now to the NFL season. And quarterback's interesting. I I teased this earlier that I was in a draft on Saturday where I think only 15 quarterbacks were picked. 15 in a 12-team league. It's amazing. that, And I ended up with Mahomes, and I, I, I kind of... I really, I kind of regret it, kind of. Now that team in my that league, I feel like it's good enough where I could do whatever I want. But in general, I don't ever want to end up with Patrick Mahomes as my fantasy quarterback. It's not because I don't think he's going to be the best quarterback. I think he is, but it's all about value. And when you can get a Matt Ryan six rounds later, or you can get a Dak Prescott ten rounds later, that's what you do. The league moving towards a passing style of game over the past decade has made it so, in fantasy football, almost any quarterback you put in there, you're doing pretty well. What was the league average for quarterbacks last year in yards per game? Had to be over 200. Had to be. You look at like Eli Manning last year even. Was not good. Was not good. And he had maybe 4,000 yards passing. Like... The yards, the stats, they're going to be there. There were 12 quarterbacks in the league last year that threw for 4,000 yards. There were 21 who threw for 3,000. And Jameis Winston came 8 yards short and he even played the whole season. So really there were 22. It's amazing. The whole league. If you are starting at quarterback, you're throwing for 3,000 yards. Seemingly. So... My advice to anybody out there thinking about Mahomes, you're thinking about maybe Deshaun Watson, one of the, Rogers, one of those guys at the top. Just wait it out. Pick Jameis Winston. I love Jameis Winston this year. Bruce Arians is there, passed out style offense, gets the most out of his quarterbacks. Winston is talented. I don't think he's great, but he's definitely talented, and I could see that going really well for him stats wise. So go pick up a Jameis Winston. Go pick up a honestly even Sam Darnold or Allen. Allen would probably be a better pick, obviously, because of the rushing. But Darnold's going after 
Allen and Lamar Jackson right now because he doesn't have the rushing. He has some rushing. He has some. It's not to the level of Allen and Jackson. But Darnold with Gase, I think that could go fairly well. I don't think it's going to go tremendous. I don't think the Jets are going to be a playoff team this year. But I like Sam Darnold. I I like him even a little bit more than I like Allen. And I like both. But Darnold's just kind of got that gunslinger mentality to me while he's also not like super risky. He kind of reminds me of Winston in that in this way where he's super talented but the one thing you've got to really work on is the the turnovers. And one thing that Winston really has never figured out is how to limit the turnovers. So I'm not so Darnold might never figure that part of it out. But if he does, I think there's a lot there. Yeah, Winston's never had a season where he didn't have double-digit interceptions. 15, 18, 11, 14. And by today's standards, I mean, you're throwing for double-digit interceptions. Now, I guess a lot of the league did. 22. But a lot of the great quarterbacks in the league, like, they're not throwing for double-digit interceptions anymore. Deshaun Watson, 9. Prescott, 8. Matt Ryan, 7. Russell Wilson, 7. Carson Wentz, 7. Last year. This is all last year. Drew Brees, 5. Joe Flacco, he got benched. He had six. You know, he played half the year, I guess. Um, Aaron Rodgers with two. I mean, the great quarterbacks of the league are not throwing that many picks. Darnold, that's definitely an issue uh, that he has, even more so than Allen, is his ability to turn the ball over. So if they can get a hold on that, then I'd be worried as a Bills fan that the Jets have a franchise quarterback. But there's no telling whether he will figure it out because, like I said, there's a guy in Jameis Winston who had the same exact problem and reminds me a lot of Darnold as a quarterback, and he has never fixed it. All that being said, I like them both as fantasy options. The yards are going to be there, especially for Winston. The touchdowns are going to be there. There will be a little bit of rushing. Not a ton, but a little bit. This game going on right now, if you're looking for like a deep sleeper, the Niners... I don't know really what they're doing at receiver. So their starting receivers today were former Bill Marquise Goodwin, Anthony Pettis, Dante Pettis. Anthony Pettis is a UFC fighter. Dante Pettis, and not the two draft picks they had. Debo Samuel, a second-round pick, and Jalen Hurd, a third-round pick. I think if you are looking for a flyer late, draft one of them. Jalen Hurd or Debo Samuel. I don't really like Goodwin that much. He's had one really good year. I've never bought into him. He's a one-trick pony. He is amazingly fast. I will not dispute that. But I think we all kind of know he's a one-trick pony. Um, So I'm not buying the hype that he's going to be a starting receiver for a full year if he he can even stay healthy, which he never can. Um, And then Pettis has had a really rough training camp. And they're not tied to him. I mean, he's a second-round pick, I think, from a couple years ago. But they're not tied to him. Whereas Samuel and Hurd, who have both had really good camps, they're both, the difference between them and Pettis is they are athletic freaks. Samuel is fast and physical, and Hurd is tall and incredibly fast, even faster than Samuel. So San Francisco is going to be an interesting team to watch this year, and for fantasy purposes, those are the two guys I would target there. I, for the their overall, though, they're playing right now, um, I don't think I'm buying them as like a playoff team or anything. I'm not loving them. The defense is really talented. I'll give him that. But Garoppolo is not looking good. What was it? Five interceptions in a row in a, in a pra- joint practice the other day? He Nathan Peterman a practice in one drive? 
And then he just threw a pick in this game. So, I don't know. What are we supposed to think of Garoppolo? He hasn't played. Isn't that, it's amazing. Like, he's considered the highest paid quarterback in the league. Or he was one of them. The guy just doesn't really, doesn't play. I'm going to look up his, uh, how many games? He started 10 games in his career. It's still amazing. He's been in the league. This is his sixth year, and he's played 10 games in the league. And I think people want to assume that he's great. I don't want to assume that. I think he's good, but I'm not sold on him being great either. It's kind of like the the Winston thing. Like, Winston is this uber-talented quarterback, but he's just never really figured it out. How do we know Garoppolo, even though he's got all this talent, is going to figure it out? I don't know. Last year, he only played a few games, but Nick Mullins was just as good in the games he played. Two years ago, though, he was great, I guess you could say. 5-0, and almost 70% completion, 1,500 yards. He was averaging almost 300 yards a game. So, like, two years ago, if you told me, like, that's what I'm riding on him being great, those five games, then, uh, then I could see what you're talking about. But he's another player I am super intrigued to watch this year because he is just – people just kind of assume that he's really good. And I don't really think we've ever seen it. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll come back, talk a little more around the league stuff. And I also want to do a quick recap on what happened in the UFC event on Saturday. I pre- previewed it on Thursday. And I told you watch out for Nate Diaz coming back uh, to the UFC. And man, did he ever come back to the UFC with a bang on Saturday. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. A quick hockey thought, actually, too, on the Sabres I forgot to get to. Here on WGR. Joe Flacco is looking rough. Oh, Broncos 49ers is going on right now in Joe Flacco, man. I mean, he had Noah Fant, the rookie tight end, coming open. Probably could have scored if he hit him in the numbers. Threw it way behind him. Just, oh, just happened a minute ago. So, uh, Denver. As I said, like, I went through the AFC and, like, what teams I think the Bills really have to beat out. To make the playoffs, I, I'm not worried about Denver at all. At all. I just don't think that's going to work. Their defense is good, but it's not dominant like it once was a couple years ago. And the offense is just so old school, and the quarterback is just so blah. And I don't know. I just don't I don't see it. I don't see it working in Denver. I don't think they'll be the worst team in the world, but if they get more than six or seven wins, I think I'll be surprised. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll talk a little UFC here to close out the show. Um, I was really excited for this card, as you probably heard me if you listened to the show on Thursday. Uh, Nate Diaz coming back, first time he's fought since he fought McGregor a couple years ago. Um, the Cormier Stipe fight, I was excited for. Even Yoel Romero, who I've always is always entertaining to watch. Uh, I thought it was a good card. So Diaz Cormier, if you got any thoughts on what happened over the weekend, uh, we'll take calls on that too. If you want to. If you want to get in before we get out of here. And uh, let's go to CJ. CJ, you are on the nightcap. What's up, man? Joe, what's going on, man? Good evening. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, man. I just got to tell you, too, you know, being born and raised in Buffalo, obviously I'm a big, you know, Bills and Sabres fan, but MMA talk locally. Oh, yeah. You still there, man? Well, it's good. Uh, yeah, so just real real quick, just the, the, the thing with Nick D- or with Nate Diaz that impressed me the most, the guy. CJ? I think we lost CJ. 
Not good. All right, man. Thanks for the call. I don't know where you were going with that. It sounded like you were impressed by him. I was. Um, I didn't think he was going to win that fight, to be honest. I wanted him to because I'd like to see him become relevant again in the UFC. And even though I like Anthony Pettis um, as a fighter, and he's entertaining too, Diaz might have some more star power just because of the connection with him and McGregor. So uh, I think... uh, you know, I think where you might have been going with that is what something I would have agreed with. I think we might have CJ back. CJ, is that you? Yeah, man, what's going on? Sorry hey. about that. I must have had a bad, bad reception there. No, you're good. Go ahead. Yeah, no, so just what I was saying, the, the thing with Nate Diaz that impressed me the most was that the guy was off for three and a half years, and he comes back and he fights a guy in, in Pettis where he got done just smoking Stephen Thompson, moved up to welterweight, and then a few months prior to that, he fought Tony Ferguson, you know, respectably. Granted, it was, it was a great fight. It was a great fight. Yep. You know, Nate, you know, came from being off for three years, and he starched him for three rounds. And you don't see that where guys are able to, you know, be off for a, a long period of time. And not only do they not look good, but, you know, they look almost perfect. And Pettis is a great striker. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And Nate's boxing was on point, and his jiu-jitsu was sharp. He almost got the finish with the, uh, the arm triangle, I believe, in the third round. Yep, it was close. Trust me, he was able to do that, so... Yeah, I completely agree, man. Hey, thanks for the call. Like, I, I think the the boxing part of two of it was like kind of what surprised me. Like, I'm not saying he's not a good boxer. I mean, he went toe to toe with McGregor, and even though he lost big on strikes in that, like he did damage to Connor throughout his fight with him. Um, and I thought that's kind of was something he would have had problems with because Pettis is so good at it, and he didn't. I mean, he stood in there, and when he had to trade, he traded, and he traded well. But then he had he was flawless on the ground. And I don't know. Like, I don't really, I didn't follow the sport when he was fighting a lot. So I don't really know if I can tell you very educatedly on, uh, that's probably not even a word so that you can, you can, you can see where I'm going with this. I I don't really, uh, I don't really know how to tell you how high of a ceiling this could be for him. Like, if he's got title aspirations, I think he's going to fight Jorge Masvidal next. That'll be a super entertaining fight, but we'll see. He What he showed on Saturday, it's hard for me to think that he can't challenge for these titles because Pettis was right there, and he just, three rounds, flawless, I thought. Easy win. Not easy, but like he, it was never in doubt. Um, so, yeah, I was super impressed. And then quickly on the Stipe-Cormier uh, fight, um, obviously, what a surprising result there. Cormier dominating for the entire fight, and then in the third round, uh, I think it was the third round, Stipe knocks him out. He caught him with the right and then finished it. So that kind of lays the groundwork for okay, what happens next with Cormier, and I wonder if that result is going to end up robbing us of a final trilogy fight between John Jones and Daniel Cormier because Cormier's 40, and I don't know how many more fights he has left in him, Um Maybe he would have had one more after that had he held on and won, and it would have been against John Jones, if that even interests him. Now, if he comes back, I can't imagine it's not against Stipe. It just makes sense. They both won once against each other. Stipe has the belt. You go for the trilogy fight. That just makes the most sense. And then will he have an appetite to fight two more times, even if he wants to fight one more time? Um, I don't know. So I, I think, at the very least, it decreased the odds uh, of a John Jones Daniel Cormier third fight uh, with Saturday's result of him losing to Stipe. 
Uh, the Brock Lesnar thing, I just hope never happens. It's just a sideshow that just whatever. No thanks. All right, that's going to be it for me tonight. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. As always, you can catch it on demand at WGR550.com. And uh, I will be back with you tomorrow night. We'll continue to preview Friday's third preseason game. Get a, I want to know if John Brown's going to play. Hopefully we find that out throughout the course of the week. We saw Cole Beasley showcase last Friday against the Panthers. I would like to see Allen get on the same page as John Brown. As I said earlier in the show, I think he's the guy that will be most impactful for the Bills at receiver this year. But until then, until tomorrow night at 7, everybody have a good night, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi, ESPN Radio, up next here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.